What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ladies Let's Talk About Sex. My name's Felicia, I'm your host, and I'm a lady talking about sex. So this week, we have Marnie as our special guest. Marnie, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everybody. I'm Marnie Spiegel. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I work out of Chicago. Uh, My main focus for over the past 20 years or so has been sex education and sex therapy. Amazing. And why um, did you kind of get into your field? Why was this important to you? Yeah, well, you know, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and there really wasn't um, in our high schools and our middle schools, we didn't really have a pride club. Um, And I had a friend who died by completion of suicide right after high school, um, mainly because he really wasn't accepted in his family. He identified as gay and he wasn't accepted and ended up uh, completing suicide. And I had another friend who um, his girlfriend got pregnant and he really wasn't educated around safer sex practices. So I just felt like providing the information is so important to youth and to make sure that youth feel supported around sex and sexuality um, was really significant and important. No, I love that. And part of why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because you've done a lot of work with the LGBTQIA plus community. And so I kind of wanted to hear a little bit more about that and some of the resources that that community and those folks kind of need versus, you know, heteronormative resources and kind of the differences between, you know, communities and what we can provide um, towards the LGBTQIA plus community versus, um, you know, some of us regular heteronormative or straight folks. So I wanted to hear a little bit about your experience at the Response Center. So can you tell people what that is and uh, who it serves? Sure. So Response Center is a social service organization in Skokie in Chicago, Illinois, and they serve individuals and families who have individuals um, within their families that are age 12 to 26. And the idea being that adolescent and developing individuals really need a safe space, a unique, you know, it's a unique time in our development. And it would be great if they had a place to um, be educated, receive social service service services, um, as well as sexual health services. So they actually had uh, three components, an outreach component, where they would go into schools and community centers and provide um, education and support. There was also a counseling component and then a sexual health clinic. And I ran the sexual health clinic. That's amazing. Um, So what was the process of retrieval when people would come to the center and um, ask for specific services? Were there requirements? Did they have to fulfill certain needs? And within that community, because it's so diverse, how did you kind of, um, I don't want to say categorize individuals, but retain enough information to serve each person uh, the way they needed to be served? Yeah, well, it's a good, it's an interesting balance, I think, between um, really being able to serve individuals and their unique needs and um, really normalizing that just because somebody identifies as LGBTQIA+, um, or 
not, um, that a lot of times those needs are the same. So, you know, I think it's at times a hard balance. Um, but one of the unique things about our clinic was the requirement that if somebody was receiving sexual health services, that they also needed to check in with a professional. And this was really designed to help educate and support youth around their sexual development. Amazing. So within your position there, what types of services did you provide um, for young people? Yeah, so it was actually similar to like a Planned Parenthood or any other sexual health clinic um, where they could receive gynecological services, they could receive education, they could receive birth control options, um, giving out condoms, and then support if, you know, recognizing that not everybody has a family that is invitive um, or inviting to have these difficult discussions or to be supportive to get gynecological care, um, get testing for STIs, get birth control. And since in Illinois, at least, the law is that once you turn 12, you have autonomy over your sexual health care. Um, we wanted to provide that service for individuals who couldn't get that care th through their family. That's actually incredible. 12 is a... Um... I don't want to say it's a young age because I feel like by 12 years old, you kind of know yourself better than, you know, maybe the people around you do. But that's actually very interesting. And that's different um, state by state in America, obviously. I'm actually not sure what the age is in Canada, but I'm, I'm definitely going to research that because I think that that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, well, I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, around 12, for some younger, for some older, but that's really when um, we're developing biologically sexually. Um, so for an individual who is experiencing really bad PMS, um, really bad cramping, severe headaches, who really need or could benefit from birth control pill, whose parents maybe won't allow that for religious reasons, cultural reasons, um, that they can take that decision into their own hands and make sure that they're getting the, the medical care that they need. That, that's, that's honestly amazing. How did you outreach to such young people? Because I know at 12 years old, I wasn't you know, searching for this, but I also didn't face these type of issues. So I'm curious as to how you kind of got into contact with these young people. Well, what was great about Response Center is that we had that outreach component. So we were going into middle schools and high schools and providing um, sex education. And while we're promoting autonomy, while we're promoting safer sex practices, while we're promoting getting tested, we can let them know that we can also provide that service and what it'll look like, um, what to expect, all the scary questions answered. Um, so it really um, cut down on some of those barriers to service, which is nice. No, that's incredible. And I think that the earlier you begin to outreach, the earlier these people kind of have access to resources or at least are able to try things out. Because I know a lot of people, even, you know, heteronormative women have a lot of issues going on birth control and we don't even face the psychological or societal barriers that come with that. Um, I mean, some do, but for the most part, we're, it's pretty accessible to us. Um, mm -hmm. 
and you know even just taking it for sexual health needs some people have really um intense side effects so it definitely is a long process to just get on hormones um so i think that that's incredible that you're starting um at such an important age too because i kind of forgot that i got my period at 12 but that yeah. it happens <laughs> it happens and it's been so long so i don't think about it but um no everyone's body's definitely changing at that time and i think it's important to recognize that at that age um we do become, we do understand our body and we are not sexual beings at that age, but we, we do become, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but. I think for some of us, we're starting to develop what that means and exploring it and um, really starting to identify who we are in terms of being a sexual being. Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely a better way than I find it. Um, so I wanted to ask about the types of service, services critical to um, members of the LGBTQIA plus community um, and what type of challenges those young adolescents face. I know we did talk about familial issues and religious mm-hmm. views, um, but maybe we could kind of go into more detail about the, the different circumstances these people within that community are put under versus kind of um, a heteronormative adolescence and the, the type of, you know, challenges that they might face? Yeah, well, I, I like to think of it in terms of, um, you know, when you're growing up in a culture and a society that is reaffirming how you feel inside, you can just sort of float through life. Um, but when you are constantly butting up against what is quote unquote normal and that doesn't feel normal to you, it doesn't resonate with you, um, then you are constantly butting up against what is different about you. Um, and I think about this a lot in adolescence because in adolescence, all we want to do is fit in and be normal and not be different. Um, and so for individuals who identify as LGBTQIA+, um, you know, they're constantly sort of being almost smacked in the face um, with their differences. Um, and that can be really stressful, that can be really hard, anxiety provoking. You know, there's statistics that state um, that individuals who identify in the LGBTQIA plus community have higher instances of anxiety and depression. And I really think that um, along with this fact, not having the supports um, in their lives really contribute to that statistic to that statistic. No, I, I, I completely like agree with that. And I think that there's already so many pressures for young adolescents. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, everyone ultimately wants to be, you know, in a large group of friends and be accepted. And, and, you know, I don't even think young people are really that interested in sex itself, but just feeling like, they have autonomy over their body and, and they're in control of, you know, the way they portray themselves and the way they feel and the relationships that they want to have in the future, or even like at a young age, like I definitely had some, you know, 
boyfriends in eighth grade. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't sexual. It was more just like holding hands. And I liked that. And that was, mm-hmm. you know, nice for me, but I didn't feel any type of, um, like, abnormality within that because that's kind of what's depicted in media and Mm -hmm. what's expected of me because you know I'm a straight woman so I I kind of this just kind of how it it's been and I've never really questioned it because I haven't had to right Uh, if we think about you know from a even from a young age you think about you see you know a little kid in kindergarten and oftentimes we ask little girls do you have a boyfriend and we ask little boys do you have a girlfriend um you know, if we would tweak our language just slightly to say, do you have a crush? Um, I mean, let's put aside the fact that we're sexualizing children, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but the expectation is that we sort of pair off, right? It's what we see. Um, not to say that that is right. And that's what we, how we should be, but I think that is typical of our cultures right now. Um, So, you know, we're constantly sort of reaffirming the heteronormative um, narrative, if you will. And we're reiterating that to kids at a very young age. Um, So, again, if we can sort of tweak our language, right, Um, are you interested in a partner rather than are you, you know, are there any boys or girls at school that you think are cute? Um, You know, when we talk in a more heteronormative way, um, people within the LGBTQIA community are constantly having to assess for safety. And I really do think that that contributes to that anxiety and the depression that we were talking about earlier. Um, Because if I always have to be on alert and assess um, if I'm in a safe environment to be genuine about who I am, um, then that's going to contribute to, you know, that mental health. No, for sure. And I definitely think that like, I, I could never understand cause I've never had these types of pressure, but I always try and like, if, if it was happening to me, if, if my teacher was always asking me, kind of the opposite. Oh, do you have a girlfriend? And I constantly had to mm-hmm. correct them or, you know, feel like, oh, this me liking a boy is not really um, appropriate. I would definitely feel, you know, frustrated and stressed out and anxious and um, just not feel safe, essentially, to explore these types of feelings, no matter how um innocent they are you know Mm -hmm. like it for for most young people it's it's more just about you know saying oh I have a girlfriend or oh I have a boyfriend and we hold hands and maybe you exchange gifts or cupcakes or snacks or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. but um I like to go back to actually the statistic you discussed um regarding um anxiety and depression within um the LGBTQIA plus community um And we kind of discussed, you know, why it's a very predominant issue. Are there any other um, mental health issues that are predominant within this community and and maybe why? Yeah, you know, I think that anxiety and depression are the are sort of the two key ones that we see that are so prevalent. Um, Self-harm is increased. 
as well as uh, suicide attempts. I know that um, LGBT, B individuals are five times more likely to attempt suicide. Um, and this is not because anxiety and depression come along with identifying as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, but it has to do with the support and how it is portrayed in our culture, accepted, not accepted within various you know, broader cultures, national cultures, as well as subcultures, whether you believe, belong to a religious community um, or another sub-community um, that really is not supportive. Um, I think they say 40% of trans adults have in, admitted to attempting suicide. Um, and these are probably low-ball statistics because these are, you know, from people who are self-disclosing and it might be something that might be difficult to admit to. Um, so the yeah. fact that that number is so high already and we, we, some people are adults and they don't come out as trans until they're late in their adulthood. So the fact that this number is already so high, like definitely should spark some anger in some people it definitely you know invokes a lot of pain in my heart for these members of this community because it's just not fair suicide is we can prevent it we just have to be good allies and good partners and good support systems for this community mm -hmm. um so as an ally what would you say is the best way to change this narrative and how how can we help um, this community change these yeah. statistics? That's a really good question. Um, I think first and foremost is being an ally and being a good ally. Um, part of that is knowing what we don't know. Um, I, I should let you and your listeners know um, that I have a trans daughter. Um, she's 10. She came out when she was seven, almost eight. Um, and I do feel that one of the reasons why she came out so young and so early was because she felt supported and it did feel safe in our home for her to identify in a genuine way. Um, you know, one of the ways that I encourage people to model in their professional lives is to use pronouns. Um, introduce yourself and introduce your pronouns. And that is a very easy, very... Um, kind of very overt way of saying I am a trans ally. I understand um, that pronoun usage is important and I want to make sure that I'm getting yours correct. Um, you know, using language, like I said, about using um, the term partner instead of assuming um, I am always a big believer in asking questions. Um, so, you know, when my daughter came out to me, I didn't assume anything. So she said, Mom, I'm a girl. And I said, great. How can I support you? And she was eight, so she didn't really know. But I <laughs> gave her some options. You know, I said, do you want to change your name? Do you want to go buy different clothing? Do you want to wear your hair differently? What does that mean to you? Um, because all of those decisions are very unique and very personal and very individual. Um, 
So I think it's important to honor that individuality, honor people's um, identities and let them sort of show you, teach you um, what that means to them. I think that's that's so important and it's so it's so nice to hear that your daughter has a mom like you. I think that that's so great um, and 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 so exciting because I do think that we are moving in you know a different direction um, in regards to parenting and parenting people of this community. Mm-hmm. but I, I do think that you know the little information that we do know about the LGBTQIA plus community, is important to recognize because even as I'm doing these podcasts, I'm meeting all these different people with different orientations and different identifications. And there's, you know, within trans, like within being a transgender, there's, you know, being transmasculine or being transfeminine and what that means. And, and, you know, some people might be bisexual and they might represent themselves in a way that's not, um, that doesn't align with the gender that they were or the sex they were assigned with at birth. So I think that it's it's so unique. Um, and I think that that's one of the the coolest things about it is that like these people have total control over or not control, but they're able to represent themselves in such a unique way mm-hmm. that is to me so beautiful because it, it I wish I was cooler, honestly. <laughs> I wish I was, you know, I had more to me that was unique and beautiful and different. Um, but I think that, you know, everyone has their own their own um, way of representing themselves. But I think that that's something that's really important to recognize, especially within this community and especially as an ally. Um, yeah, and I think it's really important not to make assumptions as well. Just thinking about um, the difference between identity and expression, um, sex and gender, right? Um, That one of the reasons why I asked my daughter, you know, do you want to get different clothes? Because I didn't want to assume that just because she identified a certain way, she would want to express in that way. Um, you know, she has a friend of hers who only wears boy clothes, has very, very short hair, um, and her gender expression is more typically male, what we would think of as male in our culture. Um, and she identifies as female. Um, so, you know, I have another friend who is heterosexual. Um, she is a woman. She was born a woman. She fell in love with a woman and she married a woman, but she is still heterosexual. She just happens to be a heterosexual who's in love with and married to a woman. Um, you know, there are people who are bisexual who um, are in heterosexual relationships. Um, so, again, I think, you know, not making assumptions is really, it's really important. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And I think that that's something um, we even have to do beyond allyship. I think mm-hmm. in our society, there's a very strict way of how people should be and how they should act and what their roles are. And I think as a woman, I'm sick of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I hear you. Um, so, and I think a lot of people can agree with me on that. So I definitely think breaking this mold is something... Um, kind of very important to do. Yeah. 
Um, but going back to your work at the um, response center and your work with the LGBTQIA plus community, um, I kind of wanted to hear some more stories about, you know, some things you've experienced or some things you've um, helped people overcome. Um because it is so unique, right? So every story definitely has a different ending. Um, so I'd love to hear any personal experiences you've had with clients or kids or... Sure. Um, you know, one of my very first clients at Response Center um, was a young woman who really didn't want to be there. She was a senior in high school and her parents were sort of making her come to therapy. She was... Um, exhibiting some, um, what's up? She was exhibiting. She was exhibiting some um, more antisocial behavior at home, really isolating. Um, and she used therapy to come out to me. I was the first person that she came out to, um, and I think she was really just sort of trying it on and saying the words out loud. And once she was able to, to come out to her family, um, they weren't 100% supportive at first. Um, but I think just being able to speak her truth and live genuinely really helped her to behave differently within her family. Um, so again, just being able to speak her truth was really empowering to her. Um, you know, I had individuals who, um, who never felt safe coming out to their family. They identified as trans and really wanted to express, um, be able to dress, be able to wear their hair in a way that felt more genuine to them. Um, and so we kept clothes at my office and, um, she would come in every week and she would go to the bathroom. She would come into my office, take her clothes, go into the bathroom, um, put on the clothes, put on the makeup and come back in. And, and we just had typical therapy for an adolescent. Sometimes she would talk about friends and sometimes it was, it wasn't about the identity necessarily. Sometimes it was, um, but really it, she used it as an hour a week to be able to live her genuine self um, until she was old enough to go away to college, which was really nice that she felt that even, even if it was just for an hour, she could be herself um, without judgment and with total, total and complete acceptance, um, which I think was a real gift to her. And I think it helped with a lot of the depression that she was experiencing. Um, and then I had an individual who came in actually with mom. Um, she identified as gender nonconforming. Her mom didn't have health insurance. And she was unable to go to a gynecologist. And we were able to help her um, remove her period. So at first she was on birth control pill and she would sort of skip the placebo the placebo pills, which helps you miss your period. Um, and then we were able to get her set up with an IUD that also pretty much made her period non-existent. Um, 
and again, she wouldn't have been able to have the service um, because IUDs are fairly expensive. That's as birth control, um, especially in America. So um, this was a way for her to feel more genuine because the period was a monthly reminder that her body was not really in sync with her identity. Um, so those are, those are just a few of the stories. Um, are there any that in particular sparked your interest? Um, honestly, they're all so wonderful and unique. And I think the big thing that I really liked um, is just kind of how therapy is a very safe space. And now I, I, I have met people who have, you know, unfortunately not met the most amazing therapist and that's a personal experience. And, um, you know, people kind of come with their own consensus of how things are and what life is. But uh, like I, I go to therapy. I advocate for it with my friends. I think it's such a beautiful tool. Uh, I think it, you know, it can help you see things kind of beyond your perspective or beyond your, you know, familial understanding of like the way the world is Mm -hmm. um so I I think it's such a a wonderful resource especially for that community because they a lot of people might not have um a supportive family or even society to to Mm -hmm. express themselves in it's like we do talk about these things and in my world you know I live in Canada it's a pretty you know, common thing in my opinion, but you know, I, I have family members who don't agree with it. Like I know people directly who don't agree with it. It's, it's still something that, you know, we're trying to evolve as a society and move past. Um, and I kind of live in this ignorance is bliss world of just like, yeah, of course it's all normal. And then I go to family dinners and I'm like, I should maybe watch what I say at the table because some people don't, you know, see this as, something that's normal, which is, is in my opinion, wrong, but that, you know, everyone kind of comes with their own biases. So I, I really like that a lot of your clients and a lot of the young people came to you and had those conversations and felt safe, um, in a space where some people are, you know, very apprehensive to go to therapy, even people who just, you know, need mental health, um, help. So I think that, telling stories, especially in relation to going to therapy in a positive light, I think is so important. Because yeah. um, a lot of people don't have um, kind of like a mental narrative around therapy as like a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, or they see um, individuals who need therapy, they assume that they are severely mentally ill. Um And sometimes it's just that we need some support and we need some help thinking through, you know, whatever issues are going on in our lives. No, a hundred percent. And I think that for me personally, I went to therapy because my parents were getting divorced and I was later, I was 18 at the time. So I was a small adult, um, but I, I continued going after, you know, the problems were resolved because I, I found it super beneficial. Um, I thought it was super enlightening. Um, I feel like it's given me like a lot of wisdom or at least taken wisdom from my therapist. <laughs> I don't know if it's my own, but 
I think it's helped me see beyond kind of what I was trained to be and see, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I always think of it, too, as uh, having a deeper understanding of yourself, um, why I make the decisions that I make, why we have the feelings that we feel, why we have the beliefs that we believe and then we can be more empowered to either keep those thoughts beliefs feelings or if they're not serving us try to work to change them before we continue i wanted to tell you about our sponsor of the week Intamo pleasurables is a sexual self-care company that makes lubes massage oils period pain oils and aphrodisiac diffuser blends locally made on vancouver island their products are plant-based free of glycogen and mineral oils. Their formulas aim to give back to your skin instead of taking away from it. Instead of using nasty chemicals, they use clean ingredients with a purpose, like organic hemp seed oil, vitamin E, hyaluronic acid, aloe vera, and avocado oil. They also take a portion of every sale to use it to facilitate free sex and pleasure education within their communities and online, because they recognize that there is a need for inclusive, accessible, and comprehensive sex education. Follow Intamo Pleasurables on Instagram to stay up to date with workshops, ask their sex educator any questions you'd like, and follow for some spicy content. They've also been so gracious to give us the promotion code of Let's Talk for 15% off your entire purchase at IntamoPleasurables.com. That's Let's Talk for 15% off your entire purchase at IntamoPleasurables.com. But it's, it's, it's important, I think. Yeah, well, and, and these rules and norms that we talk about in most civilized societies, especially those that are more, um, you know, Judeo-Christian, um, you know, sex is so taboo and anything that revolves around sex. Um, yet if you look at number one, you know, sex being a totally healthy, normal, developmental milestone for most of, most of us, um, as well as the fact that there have been LGBTQIA plus individuals throughout history, um, as well as most species of animals, right? If we, even if you come from like a evolutionary mindset, right? Um, most species of animals have LGBTQIA if not T, um, in, um, members of their, of their species. Um, you know, we see male lions who go out and hunt, even though that is typically the, you know, lioness's job. Um, and maybe that's more of, um, gender norms and gender rules. Um, but you see, um, I don't, I don't remember what zoo had the gay penguins, um, <laughs> right? I mean, this isn't unique to humans. Um, and so the fact that we've made it so taboo, it really is, it's really interesting. Um, and not in a good way. <laughs> um, yeah, it really makes me think like who came up with this and who, who said mm-hmm. that this was okay Um, but I do think that all of those, um, values and, you know, oppressive norms kind of come from a place of ignorance and power. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that 
it's very important that we have these conversations and I'm so happy that you were able to kind of give people a little bit more insight um, to this community and to members of this community and um, even myself just give me more insight on you know everyday problems that they might face that I just so lucky don't have to think about or don't have to face and I I don't have to um, deal with so I was as an ally and as listeners who want to become better allies, um, do you have any resources you would recommend maybe to family members and friends? Absolutely. So I'm a big uh, believer in, I'm a reader. Um, so um, there are a few books that I really like. Um, it's Perfectly Normal by Robbie Harris is really geared towards children, but anybody can read it. Um, what I like about it is the illustrations are very unique and inclusive. So they have individuals who, um, actually I think most of the illustrations are like the people are like green and blue and pink and yellow. Um, so it's really trying to be inclusive of everybody. Um, and then I really encourage you to, to read, books written by transgender individuals. Um, I am jazzed. I don't know if you know Jazz Jennings. I do. Um, yeah. She had a TV show. I think it was on TLC. Um, but she wrote a book. It's really great for kids, for teenagers, for parents. Um, it gives a perspective from a transgender individual. Um, and one of the reasons why I like suggesting that is that, um, you know, she came from a very supportive family um, so it gives a unique perspective of somebody who, um, you know, did have the support. Um, Meredith Russo is another author. She wrote, um, if I was a girl, um, and then Susan, uh, I think you pronounce her last name, Cucklin, Cucklin. Um, she wrote beyond magenta. Um, and that's really good for teens or for parents of teens, um, as well. So those are, those are like four of my favorite books. Um, Amaze.com is a YouTube channel that I really like, and they break down um, these topics around sex and sexuality in a really digestible way. Um, so I encourage parents, and they're really good for kids too, and they're usually under five minutes. Um, so they have a lot of really good videos too that I... I use as resources often when I go into schools and communities. Amazing. Thank yeah. you for providing those. You're welcome. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, like education is power and especially reading stories from people that are a part of this community mm. and just the spo uh, supporting, um, you know, these individuals to strive for, you know, uh, ownership of books and becoming authors and, you know, the world is kind of everyone's oyster and I think that especially people in this community should be supported for the work that they do. Yeah, there's also, you know, a lot of um, TVs and movies out there who are um, employing LGBTQIA plus individuals. Um, and I think it's really important to support artists um, who are putting themselves out there in any sort of medium. Um, but exposure, 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 exposure. Um, the more exposure we have, the more comfortable we are, 
um, with things that are different and that we're not used to. Um, and then that becomes normalized. No, for sure. And I think that we're definitely moving closer to that than we were maybe 10 years ago. Um, I'm sure there's a long, long way to go, like most things. <laughs> but before we go, let's not forget to mention My Plus One. My Plus One believes pleasure isn't a luxury. It's for everyone. And they're here to change the game with the first line of affordable, high-quality sexual wellness devices that are easily available for purchase at mass retailers nationwide. Whether it's your first purchase or you're adding to your collection, help yourself to a different kind of self-care and get acquainted with My Plus One. The reason why I love My Plus One so much is because they're on a mission to empower women to own their sexual wellness by making affordable, accessible, and high-quality sexual wellness devices. People shouldn't have to venture to a special sex shop to purchase a vibrator. Everyone is focused on self-care and self-love now more than ever. Whether it's for pleasure or wellness, women deserve convenient access to high-quality, affordable sexual wellness devices like theirs so that they can own their sexuality. Make sure to check out your local Walmart Canada for product availability. Um, but I definitely just wanted to thank you again for coming on the podcast. And Thank you so much for having me. No problem. We were so excited you came on. And um, it's definitely such an important topic we need to discuss more often. So I really appreciate all your um, education and information on this topic and how to be a better ally and how we can support this community. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome, Marnie. Before we go, don't forget to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Feel free to check us out on Instagram for all of the resources Marnie suggested and for some really special giveaways for the month of Pride. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a great day.